This week, Talon Energy files Chapter 11, Reorg analyzes auto parts company shrinking EBITDA, Dibold Nixdorf EBITDA drops 90% year over year, growth of private credit discussed at Financial Times Global Alternative Credit Summit held in partnership with Reorg. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring the latest developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm David Zupkis. Julian Bolan will be joining me for the Week in Review. We'll be taking a brief recess for our weekly deep dive segment, but we'll be back next week with more premium content. It's Friday, May 13th. Talon Energy Supply, a merchant power company with an 18-facility generation portfolio based in the Woodlands, Texas, filed for bankruptcy protection on Monday, May 9th in the Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of Texas. The company entered Chapter 11 with a restructuring support agreement and restructuring term sheets supported by an ad hoc group of holders of 62.3% of the company's unsecured notes. RSA milestones contemplate disclosure statement approval in about four months, confirmation hearing a month later, and emergence within 12 months following the petition date. Parent Topco Talent Energy Corp., the Cumulus Growth subsidiary, and TES LMBE subsidiaries are not debtors in these Chapter 11 cases. The restructuring term sheet raises the possibility of a potential direct investment in Cumulus. The restructuring term sheet also contemplates a continued funding of investments in Cumulus during the case consistent with the latest dip budget. Shortly after the bankruptcy filing, debtor Talon Montana filed an adversary complaint against his former parent, PPL, seeking to avoid as fraudulent conveyances approximately $900 million of transfers to PPL. Talon Montana says the upstreaming of consideration from a sale of its hydroelectric generation assets to the former parent left it insolvent with only loss-making coal-fired generation assets. According to the restructuring term sheet, holders of dip and firsting obligations would be paid in full in cash, given the option to roll their claims into new exit debt or otherwise would be unimpaired. Certain credit facilities at non-debt entities would either remain in place or would be refinanced at emergence, and unsecured notes would receive 100% of pre-dilution reorganized equity. Trade claims would receive an as-yet unspecified amount of cash or equity. Additional sources of equity dilution include a 12% management incentive plan and an equity rights offering. The PEDFA B and C bonds would be unimpaired at emergence. Certain of the RSA no-holders have agreed to backstop $1.3 billion of an equity rights offering of up to $1.65 billion. Participation in the rights offering is available to all unsecured note holders subject to a direct investment allocation of 30% for the backstop parties. According to the term sheet, the rights offering may be decreased to a minimum of $600 million and, as noted, would be up to a mixed maximum of $1.65 billion. Rights offering proceeds and exit debt would be used to pay allowed secured claims in full in cash. The backstop also contemplates a 25% discount to plan equity value, assuming a $4.5 billion total enterprise value. At emergence, net debt would be $1.5 billion, assuming a plan effective date of June 2023, with at least $1 billion of priority exit revolving credit facility for additional liquidity LC capacity. Gross funded debt at emergence would be $1.631 billion and include all funded indebtedness, including up to $131 million of reinstated PEDFA bonds and any net LMBE MC indebtedness. Net debt assumes $155 million of unrestricted cash. The term sheet calls for a minimum liquidity of $650 million and a minimum LC capacity of $500 million. Consenting parties to the RSA include Appaloosa, Carinade Capital, Castle Knight, Citadel, Contrarian Capital, 463 Capital, Franklin Advisors, King Street, Lavello, Lord Abbott, Nuveen Asset Management, Blackwell Partners, Cassini Partners, Star V Partners, Philosophy Capital Partners, Rubric Capital Management, Capital Ventures International, System 2 Master Fund, and 2Cs Global.
In recent weeks, a number of auto part companies lowered full-year EBITDA estimates, highlighting cost inflation as a driver of reduced expectations. According to an analysis published by Reorg this week, although these companies claim that reductions in 2022 EBITDA attributable to increases in raw material costs will be contained because of their contractual ability to pass on cost to customers, cost increases were not limited to raw materials. Reorg calculates cost inflation increasing auto parts cost of goods on an annual basis to be about 7% to 11%. These calculations include commodity costs in addition to other inflation, including in the cost of labor, freight, and utilities. Reorg's analysis takes a closer look at why effects on EBITDA have varied among different companies, depending on the source of inflation and companies' relative pricing power. To access the full analysis, please reach out to a Reorg representative. Diebold Nixdorf on Tuesday reported that first quarter 2022 net sales decreased 12.1% year-over-year to about $830 million, with adjusted EBITDA down 90.6% year-over-year to about $9.4 million. CEO Octavio Marquez commented that the company faced several challenges during the first quarter from the global pandemic, the war in Ukraine, rising inflation, and uncertainty around financial markets and global supply chains. Marquez said that while market demand for Diebold solutions was very strong, the company recognizes the need to accelerate conversion of product backlog to revenue and to apply even more operational rigor to manage these challenges. On a conference call Tuesday morning, management attributed its first quarter margin declines to higher inflation along with a lack of price increases in shipments. Management noted that it expects fourth quarter EBITDA margins to recover to levels comparable to 2021, with second and third quarter margins expected to increase incrementally quarter over quarter. In his prepared remarks, CFO Jeff Rutherford noted that the company is working with Evercore and Sullivan and Cromwell to assist in its efforts to refinance its capital structure, and that cash restructuring charges are expected to total approximately $75 million over the course of the restructuring program. A need for discretion and a shortened timeline to execute deals is compelling borrowers to seek financing via private credit over the typical bank-led syndication process, according to panelists at the Financial Times Global Alternative Credit Summit, held in partnership with Reorg in New York on Thursday, May 5th. Guest panelist Colbert Cannon, Managing Director at HPS Investment Partners, pointed out that since 2008, the broadly syndicated loan market went from approximately $600 billion in assets to about $1.5 trillion, while during the same period, private credit had grown from a $100 billion asset class to now nearly $1.2 trillion. Cannon said that if a borrower seeks to get a broadly syndicated loan completed, the bank-led route typically involves a multi-month process before it's known what the pricing and terms of the loan are. In contrast, private credit providers can hasten the process and commit to transactions with certainty and speed of execution in a matter of weeks. Panelist Alexander Popov, head of a liquid credit strategy at the Carlyle Group, said that another crucial factor enhancing the attractiveness of private markets for borrowers is the reliability during periods of widespread market volatility, such as the global financial crisis or more recently the COVID-induced global turndown. Periods when the broadly syndicated loan markets pulled back and allowed private credit providers to fill the gap and carve out an increasingly larger space for themselves in the credit markets. Panelist Ramya Tiller, partner at DebaVoice, said that the relationship and timing aspects are significant factors in terms of what is driving borrowers to private credit, noting that the comfort of going to the same lenders, having documents more or less negotiated, and knowing the pressure points significantly sped up the process. Top Red Stories this week included survey of mass tort litigation and potential Texas two-step filings, DBMP affiliates' parents seek dismissal of asbestos claimants' fraudulent transfer suit, say LTL ruling shows nothing improper or illegal about divisional merger, BNA suit against Goldman for refusal to consent to assignment of Ruby Tuesday lease dismissed, court finds secured lender has dealer's privilege not to consent to assignment of collateral, deep dive analysis of Envision Healthcare, Amsurge Recapitalization, Rite Aid Corp, AGS Updates, Acadia Healthcare, Farmer Brothers Initiations, Scientific Games Lottery, Perigo Credit Agreement reports now available. 
And now here's Kathy from Los Angeles with the week ahead. Hello, everyone. This is Kathy Ta from Los Angeles. Here are some highlights for the week ahead. On Monday, May 16th, the basic energy debtors will push back against the U.S. trustee's effort to convert the Chapter 11 cases to Chapter 7, or alternatively, for dismissal of the cases. On the debtor side are the UCC and the ad hoc group of pre-petition secured note holders. Ascribed capital also no longer stands in the way of the debtor's desire to continue their monetization efforts after the parties reached the deal. Confirmation proceedings in the Ladam Airlines debtors will kick off on Tuesday, May 17th. The debtors recently filed a seventh revised amended plan after striking a deal with the official committee of unsecured creditors and Chilean local bonds indenture trustee Banco Estado. The debtors say the settlement will further pave the way for a prompt confirmation. A significant hearing in the Zohar debtors cases is also slated for Tuesday, May 17th. The debtors will seek disallowance of the patriarch entities asserted administrative claims in the hundreds of millions of dollars. If allowed, such claims would be senior to the claims of Zohar note holders and MBIA and rendered the debtors proposed plan unconstitutional. Confirmable. The parties did reach a partial settlement with respect to certain aspects of the claim this week. On Wednesday, May 18th, is the Lime Tree Bay Debtors Plan confirmation hearing. The hearing was continued from last week to afford the debtors time to resolve the asserted administrative claims that have substantially exceeded the plan's cap of $4.8 million. Also on Wednesday, May 18th, is an omnibus hearing in Puerto Rico. Judge Laura Taylor Swain will hear PV Properties' request for a lift with automatic stay in the Puerto Rico Electric Authority Title III case. The company wants to bring a state court action against PREPA for inverse combination arising out of the utility's use of the company's renewable energy credits. Oral arguments before the 11th Circuit are slated for Wednesday, May 18th, and reorks litigation coverage of the state of Florida's appeal of a district court injunction barring the state from enforcing its vaccine passport ban against cruise line company NCL Corporation. The state and the company are at loggerheads over the company's constitutional rights to require passengers to disclose vaccine information or not. It's a lighter week of earnings next week with Eric Cap and Noble Group to release their earnings on Tuesday, May 17th. That's it for me on this Friday, May 13th. The month of May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Fun fact, the month of May was specifically chosen to commemorate the first Japanese immigrant to arrive in the U.S. on May 7th in 1843, as well as the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad on May 10th, 1869. The railroad project led the way to the U.S.'s West Coast expansion and was accomplished by nearly 20,000 Chinese migrant workers in the face of hazardous, deadly conditions on a daily basis. Take some time to celebrate, such as by supporting Asian American-owned businesses or by partaking in bystander intervention training as anti-Asian American hate crimes have been on a historical rise in the U.S. Now back to you in New York. Thank you again for listening to this Rear Weekly Review. Find all our podcasts on the rear.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great weekend and see you next Friday.